Welcome to Inside the Sports Car Paddock on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and our very dear friends at the Justice Brothers. This episode we have, as usual, starting off with Jeff Brown, race engineer supreme, with this weekend's IMSA event on the streets of Detroit at Belle Isle. Jeff opens with what he is looking for there, the very unique challenges of Detroit compared to Long Beach and, frankly, most other street circuits you will find anywhere else in the world. So Jeff brings us inside what he and other race engineers are looking for, the constraints they are dealt with that are very unique to Detroit, as he, with a core autosport Nissan Enroque DPI IMSA effort and his rivals and friends, are looking to solve the same kind of puzzle around a wacky um a wacky little street course that is actually a little island that's actually just meant to be uh, a beautiful picnic and whatever area for the local residents that gets turned into a motor racing venue one weekend a year then jeff closes on testing what they look to do when they do go test what they hope to do in terms of finding not only information during but after the test how they comb through it the time involved there just general strategies and thought processes for how to go testing and then what to do with that information you get how to process it all and move forward and then we close with lawrence tomlinson who was interviewed by my man graham goodwin my partner in the weekend sports cars show lawrence the man who owns and is in charge of the janetta manufacturer speaking about lmp1 lmp3 all manner of great things with the small but growing british mark janetta and with that said I look forward to get rolling here no clue who we will have as guests next week and that's frankly part of the fun of the show all right let's get going with inside the sports car paddock kicking off with jeff brown then moving to lawrence tomlinson to close all brought to you by cooper tires and the justice brothers jeff brown after taking a week off, I am so glad that we are back in our Let's Get Really Smart to Start Inside the Sports Car Paddock show, all courtesy of you and a lot of experience and uh, really incredible ability to explain things in, in very, uh, I don't want to just say simple terms, but to relate this kind of weird thing that uh, you do professionally, I used to do professionally, that being race engineering. We've got Detroit coming up this weekend. Yeah. If you thought getting the number 54 Nissan Enroque DPI run by Core Auto Sport Ready for the streets of Long Beach was a challenge, how about the Baja 1000 uh, street circuit uh, at Belle Isle? Let's start there. We have a, another topic we want to, uh, maybe the primary topic that we'll close on, we'll get to after, but how do you prepare for a track? that might have more vertical movement in the chassis than actual longitudinal? Yeah, it's, that's the, that's a great question because most people would think, you know, okay, we got two street circuits on the, uh, on the schedule and Long Beach, Detroit, you'll just kind of got to be pretty similar. We'll take the same setup to both tracks and, and actually they couldn't be further from each other. Um, they share a few things, walls at the exit of corners and, and things like that. But Detroit is more of a, it's a faster, more open, more flowing street circuit. You know, um, I remember the, the Melbourne Formula One race is, you know, kind of like in a park area. Well, Detroit's a similar kind of thing. It's, 
yeah, it's a street circuit, but it's it's more like an actual natural terrain circuit. But then what makes it completely different than that is it is bumpier than all get out. Um, they, they, the promoters, Roger Penske, I, I take it, spent his money a few years ago to grind down some of the bumps on the back straightaway, which made it at least you could at least navigate the track. But still, it is extremely bumpy. So you have this super fast flowing kind of street circuit with some twisty bits, but but there's some really fast, flat out fourth gear, middle of fifth gear kind of corners that, you know, you think you're at uh, a mothboard or something. And then there's the super tight 90 degree right handers with huge braking bumps going into them. So it takes a completely different setup than what you would use at Long Beach, um, aerodynamics becomes more important uh, than Long Beach because there are some super fast corners. Uh, the other thing about Detroit is the track. Long Beach, the, the promoters at Long Beach have done a tremendous job over the last three or four years of really preparing the track and making it not so slippery. They sweep it and sweep it and sweep it. They, as weird as it seems at Long Beach, they actually run the uh, drift cars the week before, and that actually puts some rubber down in a couple of the corners that are really important at Long Beach. So Long Beach starts as a much more race-ready track, and you can start making changes to your car in the first session. IMSA, unfortunately, was the first session out at Detroit, and it's not as clean, and it's not as rubbered down and stuff. So we're going to be slipping and sliding for the first 35 45 minutes before we can really change much and make any progress so different different animal than than long beach in a lot of ways what are the things you are looking for or trying to do for your drivers that are unique from a setup standpoint at detroit and i know i don't want to get too crazy in third spring interaction and this, mm-hmm. that, and the other, although we did cover that recently, we're going to do yeah. more on damping for sure. But if I think about setting up a car to run another shortened race at Detroit compared to the standard two hour and 40 minute event, you do have something I would think Jeff is one of the greater engineering conflicts of the year, all based on everything you just shared with us on its speed and flow and despite the fact that there has been some repaving in some areas there's still an awful lot of vertical movement to where uh, it's either through bumps or big bumps or just there's the little jump almost coming uh through the turn one two complex despite it being a faster and more flowing street course despite having some sections that have been repaved it's not like you can lower the chassis a ton stiffen the uh, springs and this and really make it a rock solid platform like a most sport as you mentioned canadian tire motorsports park how do you deal with this Ooh, boy this is the things we'd love to do but we are going the driver is actually going to have their butt scrape in the ground because we will have torn off the bottom of the chassis if we lean in that direction right right well you actually take more of a sebring setup to detroit than you would a long beach setup um, Sebring obviously super, super bumpy bumps in a different way. And when we go to our seven post shaker rigs, or when we're just tuning dampers or building dampers for specific tracks, we consider the actual type of bumps. You know, there's, 
there's the braking bumps that kind of go across the racetrack and hit both tires equally. Sebring has what I call staggered bumps where the, you can go straight down a straightaway, but the right front might hit a bump and the left front might be in a dip where the, where the concrete blocks are staggered in height. That's a completely different bump and a completely different setup and engineering answer to deal with those than the ones we deal with at Detroit. Um, the curbs at Detroit, some of them are concrete and poured concrete. Some of them are actually bolted down metal fabricated curbs that they bolt down, like the, the right-hander at the end of the back straightaway where you go into the stadium section. So you can hit the curbs differently. So what we do is it's a super compromise, as you just pointed out, because you'd like it really, if the track was smooth, you'd like it stiff, low, because there's fast corners where you need the aerodynamic downforce, but you, you skip it off the bottom of the skid all the time if you did that. So big compromise, but you have to you have to balance both of those, but with knowing that there's a lot of grip in just getting over the bumps well. So people who have really had a really good seven post program, have their dampers dialed in, are gonna have an advantage because that allows them to compromise better where they can be stiff and have the platform stability they need for their aero platform, yet still get over the bumps well. Um, so it's, it's a, it's probably one of the biggest engineering challenges of the year. Um, because, you know, you can go to Watkins Glen where it's smooth and fast and the compromises aren't near as great as it is here. Long Beach, there's not many aerodynamic corners, so you don't really care how high and soft you are because you don't need a great aero platform here is even more so than Sebring. You need a great compromise of both. Let's move, and this is going to be maybe a little bit of a shorter episode than we normally do, but unfortunately have uh, some time constraints outside of racing. So the other topic we wanted to touch on, Jeff, and we have about 15 minutes for it, is you and the team, the Core Autosport team, are coming off of a two-day test at Watkins Glen. Thought about, as you mentioned, you thought about saying, hey, how do we share with folks what do we do with what we gain from a test, right? We're not just pounding around for fun. We're taking notes. We're looking at data. We're taking everything that we did during those two days and distilling it into information that is then fed into a direction to go setup wise. It might be something that influences your race strategy on something you might've learned or picked up. How do you take what you've learned from a test and distill that into useful information? Uh, how do you structure a test and how do you find value in a test knowing that sometimes you leave a test and go, well, that was a big waste of time and money, but, uh, this is it again, this is a really important thing that takes place nine times out of 10, absolutely out of sight from the average sports car fan. Yeah. It's, it's something that, um, you know, people think we go test and, and, and it's like a practice to, to get better. Well, it's certainly to get better but we're not like practicing our skills so much it's to it's to understand the car better and and and, <clears throat> and that applies to everybody who goes testing in in our unique situation we're new to this car it's uh, you know we've we uh, <laughs> at cora we've in the last three years we've run three different cars the, the porsche the orica and now the now the nissan so 
we're just coming into trying to understand our car. And early on when we got the car, we, we, I wasn't even smart enough to know what questions to ask. We just had to kind of run the car and, oh, okay, we understand this. We don't understand this. So we start to build a list of the things we don't understand or more accurately, the things we wish we knew more about or we have to know more about. And what happens is the season starts and you can't afford to try some of these, what I call science experiments on a, you know, one hour session on a race weekend. So you have something that's off the wall that, or that you really don't know the answer to, you know, if you, I want to change this, but ooh, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't dare do that in a one hour session, because if it's wrong, you've now wasted that run plus another run to fix it. You've wasted half of a one hour session to try something that was kind of unknown. So we've basically added, made a list of those things as the three or four first races went on. And we show up at Watkins Glen and we're doing a lot of science experiments. Yeah. This is the uh, curiouser and curiouser list almost. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The, the, I was so stupid. I didn't even know what to ask list and and so now we know what to ask and we got to find the answers and so we're another kind of uh, metaphor is i'm trying to fill up my toolbox of what i can use what i can deploy so we were at watkins Glen, but we weren't testing for watkins Glen at all we were testing for the rest of the season if i do this to the car and i try this new suspension geometry that takes a half an hour to fit to the car to adjust and realign the car and everything and we go run it, what does it do for us? Does it help in the direction we think it is? Yes, it did this and it did that. Ooh, ah, that would be great at, you know, the corkscrew at at Laguna. I won't use it until then, but ooh, yeah, that's great. It's terrible here for Watkins Glen where we're testing, but that's where we'll use that. That's great. Put that away in the toolbox. So we tried to do these science experiments to, to build that toolbox and find out what would work here and what would work there and how does this influence it and does it influence, you know, okay, it influences it in this direction, but how much? Is that a big change or is that a little change? And it also gives us the chance to try things like, oh, that did what we wanted it to do. Fantastic. Would more be even better? Yes, more is better. Oh, okay, well, let's try more. That's, oh, no, 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 that's that's the limit. Okay, so now we've kind of li- found the limits of some of the things that we can deploy, whether they're, you know, springs or dampers or suspension settings or aerodynamic settings that are kind of outside the box, you know. we So we're trying a lot of things just to generally understand the car, much more so than tuning for Watkins Glen. So it's a... It's a chance to do that kind of stuff. It's a chance to understand maybe the tire a little bit better um, and try some things that are maybe different um, and use the tire a little bit differently from, um, you know, degradation standpoint, things like that. Uh, Great time to try things that we haven't tried in the past because it was just going to be too, too risky to try on a, on a race weekend. So you come out of, In this example, two days at Watkins Glen, Jeff covered this in various ways in past episodes, but this is a perfect way to discuss the concerted effort. So 
while at the test you are making observations you're finding some things that you like and maybe explore that a little bit further in the test but what do you do once you are done and you have long lists of notes that you have made all the lap times to deal with everything to then plug in and say okay so from lap 48 to lap 61 we tested this thing this is the driver's feedback this correlates to and during that run we had these tire pressures this wing angle this ride height cambers toes all these things you are flooded with information how do you again correlate everything and then get to a point of output where a direction is taken uh, for again these upcoming races whatever it is you might apply maybe we should close on that and that journey Mm -hmm. because this is the part where when folks see you on instagram or twitter of you with your desk in uh at home uh, in, in the quote garage and your coffee machine and otherwise yeah. that's where Jeff Brown spends a lot of his quote home time. Oh yeah. But tell folks about this process. It, it, it's, and I'm sure every race engineer does it differently. So mine is just the way that I've done it over the years and years and developed it. That works for me, but get having the data is one thing, and but being able to deploy it quickly through three months from now, you know, it's not good enough to, to be sitting at Laguna in September and going, Oh yeah. Now what? I think we did a Watkins Glen. Oh, that was really good. What was that? Um, hmm, and then go back through the Watkins Glen notes and find it and, or ask Colin or John or Tyler, my assistant engineer, what was that thing we needed? Ah, you know, you can't do that. You have to be able to deploy it right away. And so, I have a, a system where I have kind of a database of every change we've ever made on the car and what it did and what the conditions were at the time and what the setup was at the time. And it's a big database that I can query at any time for any change, for any um, driver comment, for any setup. And I can quickly go back and look at any time that I've made that change and what the results were. Wow. So So is that all keyworded or, I mean, this sounds like it's taken a long time to put together. It has, it has. And I I don't want to give too much away here (laughs) on how I've exactly done it, but it's, it's a, yeah, I have a database like that for every car that I've ever run and it gets more and more valuable and more and more accurate the more years I've run it. Please tell us it's a shoebox with thousands of post-it notes that would be the best kind of brilliant mind type thing right right three by five cards or something right yeah it's it's believe me it started out that way 20 years ago but it's 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 graduated um with with computer technology and and their ability to be able to query it for any one of you know a hundred different uh components in the in, in the database but um, you know, it's really not, there's lots of database programs out there. Excel can be used that way, but the thing is you have to do it and it takes a hell of a long time and it is not fun and it is really boring and it is really tedious. But when you're sitting there and there's 20 minutes to go before the next practice and you've got to find something to add some front grip in a slow speed corner when you're have a front spring that's more than a thousand pounds and softer than 1500 pounds with the wing angle at maximum and you have 
this third gear in it and this condition and you need the answer right now, you can query this database and boom, there's the four times we tried that. Here's what the driver's comments were each one of those four times. And here's the track we did it on. Here was the tire conditions when we did it and the fuel load when we did it. Ah, okay, this is going to work now because we have similar conditions to when we did that a year and a half ago on the same tire. And so it's terrible and it's just monotonous and not that fun to do. But we that's what we collected after this Watkins Glen test that goes all into that database. And at some time, I don't know whether it's at Detroit or at Detroit in 2020, it'll pay off. And at least I'm dumb enough to believe that it will. So I keep plugging it away and keep doing it. So looking at this effort, Jeff, why don't we close on timeline? And as you mentioned, every engineer is different, takes more time. Again, if you're running a club racing car, you're probably not going to have 14,000 trillobytes of information to pull off the thing. But if we're just talking about you coming out of this Watkins Glen test, share with us the time required, how much time you put in once, say, you got home from the test, you had your notes, everything in data form that came off the car, any reports from your assistant engineers, how much time did it take to boil that down and get the uh, the outputted directions that you'll use at whatever tracks? Well, I, I think it starts, um, you know, to look at the whole thing, it probably took four solid days to prepare for it. But in addition to that, there were three or four other people looking at things like uh for us, like our, our simulations that we would run and uh, things that we would look at from a data standpoint, we'll run more sensors, more data, more um, information that we want to gather to prepare for the test, building all the parts that we want to try, some of them um, that you wouldn't bring to a normal race weekend. So to, to prepare for a test and to run a test is, I would say, twice the work in manpower from the crew guys to the composite guys to the assistant engineer our electronics guys uh, uh, to myself um it's it's twice the work before during and after uh an actual race event um it's it's super intensive after the race I mean, after the test it was again you know normally i'll spend probably three days working on post uh, race event stuff. This was, uh, I'm still working on it. I'm thinking as we're talking now, I have, uh, have some of this stuff in front of me from that test and I'm finishing up the final remnants of it. Um, and that was a week and a half ago when we did it. So it's the testing as weird as it seems is much harder and more intense on everybody. Drivers, uh, I mean, the drivers are in the car. Colin was in the car at nine o'clock in the morning got out at literally got out at one. He did not get out of the car for four hours, took a one hour break, was back in the car for two more hours, took a break and back in the car at the end of the day for two more hours. I mean, it is, it's a killer. And the crew is just change after change after change after change. Um, so testing, testing is you win races because you test well. And that's where I'll, a lot of the focus is put and um but it's fun because you get smarter every time it gets smarter 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 
And although I leave tests dumber than I was before, because I have way more questions when I finish a test than I did before I started. Well, all I can say is I hope whomever negotiated Colin's contract is getting him paid by the hour. First of all, um, all kidding aside, Jeff, thank you as always for taking time. I know you are a very busy guy getting ready for Detroit while wrapping up a Watkins Glen test and really do appreciate everything you help us do here. And I know sports car fans absolutely love learning each week from you. Thanks, Marshall. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know uh, myself for sure and all the listeners are pulling for, for you and the situation you're in right now. We're all thinking about you and wishing you, sending you uh, our uh, best wishes. In the Spark Francochon pit lane with Lawrence Tomlinson. Lawrence, we're here with the Ginetta Olympia One car. And it's been a pretty exciting day for Ginetta with news breaking that uh, the car is going to be back, but this time for a full season in the FIWC. Yeah, we're, um, we're delighted to uh, announce that we've, we're back in WEC for 1920, and obviously with the Le Mans entry that you get with that, so we've got two-car entry in for consideration, fingers crossed. And, um, you know, we've been testing the car recently, and it's been just going so well. They've got massive interest in it, and... Um, there's so much more potential to come from the chassis. Now we've got a, you know, the really, really reliable AR and providing the power that, that the chassis needed. It's been a couple of encouraging test days. It's been great to be along with you for both Aragon and here at uh, at Spa. We're just a bit of a red flag period at the moment for another car. Well, the GT cars has gone off somewhere out in the circuit, but got to be encouraged. We've got a couple of guest drivers here looking to see what can be squeezed out of this package. Still some development to come before we get to the season, but in one small way, actually not going to them on this year, sort of helps. Yeah, I mean, we were we're hoping to go to Le Mans. We had a last-minute call-up from a team to use our car, but it kind of didn't work out. But actually, realistically now, it gives us a really good window of opportunity while we've all the other teams have got three weeks of intense preparation and the 24 hours and then the subsequent two weeks of rebuild on the cars uh, to get ourselves really ready, steady go for the, for the prologue, uh, maybe a test after that and then hit the ground running for Silverstone. With um, Yeah, we've had some really good development drivers here, so um, getting different ideas from different people who've been testing all sorts of different chassis and uh, everybody says the same thing when they get out every driver says the same thing the car's really easy to drive it's very progressive and it feels really fast and, and fast and easy to drive good in good in the wet they they love it in the wet so i think we've got a great package that we can just keep honing in and go faster and faster talk a little bit about you and your motivations here you got hold of Janetta how long ago now uh, it's probably coming up to 15 years, something like that. I bought Ginetta, two, yeah, 2005 I bought Ginetta, yeah. And in that time, uh, I think it's fair to say there's been a massive impact on the products, and the uh, the racing products as well as the cars that you've been building uh, in terms of the number of drivers that are making their way up that ladder uh, into touring car racing, GT racing, sports car racing, throughout the UK scene and beyond but, but this is a bit different now this is something that I reckon well I know because I can recall a conversation with you at Le Mans back in 2006 when you became a Le Mans winner it's always been ambition hasn't it that you take a car to Le Mans that you've built with your company and try and win that race 
Yeah, we've we went there with an LMP one before, which was uh, the Ginetta Zytec, which was a, a great car. Um, but in reality, that was a badging operation where this uh, the G60 LTP one is an absolutely um, designed and built from scratch Ginetta product, which we're incredibly proud of. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that we've, we're pushing forward to, um, to get the car out again. And the package with the AR engine just seems to, seems to work really well. The car was originally designed uh, with an AR in mind before we went with the Mechachrome, which didn't work out for us. Let's talk about the, uh, the, the programme that we are envisaging here. And let's be clear about what this means. The reason we can't today confirm that the cars will be in the WC is because this is... This is an invitation event, effectively. It's a selection process. We've got to wait now, haven't we? Yeah, we've got to wait, but uh, when you look at the top class, um, we know that Dragon Speed aren't doing it, which is one less, and I'm not aware of anyone who's sold any more chassis. So um, I, I don't want to be presumptuous, but you know, I don't think it'd be an ideal thing to lose two P1 cars. So, yeah, we, we're very, very hopeful that the cars will be out at the Prologue and at Silverstone. And we're working with a, a lot of people to make that package really competitive. And um, a lot of people are, are interested in working with Ginetta now they've seen the speed of the car. So lots of hard work to do now between now and September, when, uh, when in fact it's July, isn't it? We'll see the cars, but the, uh, the prologue. That's a lot of work to do between now and July, but that's mainly, mainly on the commercial side, but as well as that, more development, more testing planned? Yeah, so we've got the commercial package to put in place and partners to find now that we're absolutely, definitely doing it. And it's always difficult to get people to commit on a maybe, possibly, could do. But, you know, this is now Ginetta saying we are, we are definitely going to be there and um, we've got the car. We've, and for the first time, we, we can now show the speed of the car with the, with the engine package that's in it. And, you know, AR have been a fantastic partner and incredibly helpful in, in getting this together. Final questions, not about the P1 car, which has just been prepped for another run with Charlie Robertson at the wheel uh, as we come towards the end of the uh, second day of this test. It's about another product. Ginetta, uh, very much a, a kind of revolutionary slash evolutionary version of the car that brought you into LMP racing in the first place because well at the moment at the Le Mans 24 hours we're going to get the first chance to see the new Ginetta LMP3. Yeah we're working like crazy on the uh, generation, generation, second generation or Gen 2 LMP3. Um, the car's just gone through its crash test and the, the new bodywork upgrades that we've worked, uh, worked on are uh, being built as, as we speak so we're working like crazy to get it out on the Friday to show everybody the new car we've had the same team that have designed this absolutely rapid LMP1 car uh, working on the P3 so we we think it's going to be the car to beat in uh, 2020 so looking forward to, to seeing that and one of the things about it as well is that we've followed the ACO's recommendation which was to try and make it look more like a sports car and differentiate the cars because you know they in that category the the cars were very I think I think we need to I think we need to improve Charlie's 
clutch control has just he's just left the box in the LMP1 car. So uh, yeah, the the P3 I think is going to be a, a, a really class leading car. As I was saying, you know they did. I, I actually personally found it very difficult to differentiate a car that we designed at Genetta from the Norma or, or the Ligier and. Um, the new, the new generation LMP3 car we've done will be easily to spot that it is a Ginetta with certain styling cues. Been great fun here at Spa. It's going to be great fun still when we see the car out for the WEC for a full uh, race programme. For now, Lawrence Tomlinson, thanks very much. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I just can't wait to get the cars out on track.